Hello, I'm Amanda Wacker. Hola, I'm Lenise Castro. Sawadeeka, I'm Asama Lekpua. And we are the Triplicates. Welcome to the second episode of season three of the Triplicates podcast. We are three first gen women of color in the third year of our PhD at the University of California, San Diego. episode we shared what were you up to this summer and fall and in this episode we'll be chatting with one of the most brilliant kind-hearted icons of all time pretty sure there's nothing she can't do omg who is it it's the newly minted as of this week dr rachel candle welcome to the show rachel Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited for our conversation today. Yes, thanks for coming. I think the first time we've talked to someone who has survived the PhD. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is actually great. I think I'm super excited to hear what you have to say. Um, But first, I would love if you could share a little bit about yourself and like identities that are important to you. Yes, yeah, so I'll just do a little bit of basic intro and then cover identities that are important to me, or maybe come they'll come up in the basic intro. Um, so yes, finished my PhD this week. So officially a doctor, which still feels very weird. <laughs> I don't think it's fully set in, um, but also at UCSD um, with everyone else on this podcast, I started PhD in 2018. Um, grew up in California, which I think is also a pretty big part of my identity, like many people from Southern California. Um, and I went to CSU Channel Islands. So I'm very proud to be part of the California state school system and come from a CSU. Um, and then I think a few of my identities that are really important to me are being a woman, being a scientist and being Jewish. I think all three of those parts of my identity have really informed who I am. Um, and I think a lot of like intersectionality between those identities and how they inform who I am. Um, I think like growing up Jewish, we weren't weren't super religious, but we're fairly involved with temple. Um, and I think like one of the really interesting things as someone who's not very religious now, <laughs> one of the interesting things about Judaism is like there's a lot of emphasis on questioning everything and asking things, why are things the way they are? Um, so that I think that that kind of informed like curiosity scientifically that I grew up feeling very comfortable asking questions and bothering people <laughs> about <laughs> why something is a certain way um, and extending that more to nature. Like, why is this thing like this? And I want to understand and some of the adults around me need to explain, be able to explain this to me. Um, and then, yeah, I think um, the label of being a scientist is not something I've always been comfortable with. And I think a lot of people talk about this, like what point as an undergrad or in grad school or beyond do people feel comfortable calling themselves a scientist? And what does it mean to be a scientist? Um, you know, if you stop doing bench science and maybe work doing something else, are you still a scientist? And so I think it's really important to me, like, okay, I have a degree, an undergraduate, and now a doctorate in biology. Like, 
I should feel comfortable calling myself a scientist, regardless of if I ever walk into a lab again in my life. Um, so I think that's something important for me that I want to claim about myself going forward. Um, and yeah, I think that's, those are a few of the, the main identities that, um, inform who I am as a person. Nice. Um, you mentioned like just your background of being Jewish has really impacted your motivation for asking questions, um, very early on in your life not only your scientific career do you think that also kind of pushed you towards getting this PhD um relatively young because I think like you and I are the same age but you're a whole fledged like you're the adult in the room now you are the adult that I say like <laughs> who has like answers <laughs> Uh, like how did that happen was it because you just grew up so curious and like motivated or did you always want to do it yeah so I can I can go through a little bit of my background growing up and it's not this is also something I don't know why but <laughs> I'm sometimes uncomfortable talking about um, mm -hmm. and trying to get more comfortable with it so I did start college pretty young I I was homeschooled after fifth grade um, and I started taking community college classes in sixth grade and I tested out of high school at the end of 10th grade and then started at Channel Islands, um, like right after I turned 16. Mm. Um, I finished my undergrad, like right before I turned 19 and then worked, um, in biotech for a year and then started at, um, UCSD. And yeah, I think partly like how that came about was not being um, afraid to look ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> um, like my, yes. uh, my uh, for most of the time I was homeschooled, I did what's called an independent study program. So it's technically a public school still. You still see a teacher once a week, but you do all the work at home independently. Um, so you still have my mom actually has a teaching credential and she tried for a year to homeschool me and I'm incapable of following anything she tells me to do. <laughs> okay, if you still want to be homeschooled, we need something with slightly more structure and like someone with more authority that you won't respond to. So I think someone I had to go to once a week that would grade all my stuff was kind of that level that I needed to, to get through it. Um, but through the independent school, we had a counselor and there were quite a few kids there that would do community college classes, um, like in oh, middle wow. school and high school. Um, and then at some point I was like, oh, I figured out I can take this um, proficiency exam and I think I'm just going to do it and apply to colleges next year. And then the counselor like laughed at me, <laughs> said that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and I went to my mom and like, I don't know why he laughed at me. I don't know why this is ridiculous. I think I can do it. Um, and I want to give my mom a lot of credit. Like, I'm sure there were times she thought what I wanted to do was ridiculous, but she was like, <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen if we can. Um, and, you know, she definitely helped me early on, like um, to, to the proficiency exam I took didn't count towards all of the high school requirements. So I was going to have to complete those to be able to get into a four-year undergrad. Um, and so, you know, she helped me figure out like, 
okay, if you take this community college class, it'll count for all your English credits. Like you need one history class and figuring out kind of the system of what I would actually need um, to be able wow. to start at a four year early. Um, and then the alternate plan was to do a year at a community college, but I ended up getting into Channel Islands um, and yeah, was there for three years. Um, and so I, I give a lot of credit to my mom that like she kind of indulged whatever I wanted to do that was really ridiculous and kind of let me, you know, explore what my interests were. Um, I think also it's interesting I pick biology because I don't think I ever took a high school biology class. <laughs> um, like, they don't oh, need I to know that now. <laughs> I really loved animals and I generally mm. liked science and was you know, wanted to understand how life worked. Um, and I really liked books about neuroscience. So I just kind of picked it. And looking back, I like, I don't know that there was, there was a clear cut reason or, you know, I hadn't like excelled in a biology class before. Um, so that's kind of how that journey came about. Um, and, you know, I feel like I, I don't want to discredit myself and say that I, there wasn't like work put into it. Um, but I do think there was a lot of moments of luck, um, and, you know, a lot of help from a support system, obviously, you know, I had a ton of privilege which, with having my mom stay at home and homeschooling my sister and I, um, and it definitely, this wouldn't have happened without that sort of support. Um, but that's kind of the journey of how I got where I am <laughs> now and how that timeline happened. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I probably didn't realize till the last few years that it was like a very odd journey. And <laughs> I kind of, there were a lot of points where, um, it was probably somewhat unrealistic or I was overly, um, ambitious about what I thought I could do. Um, but I don't think at the time I had like that thought in my head that it was unrealistic at all. Um, yes. so fearless. Kind of kind of naive, I guess, but it, it worked out. <laughs> I wow. think we can all use some naiveness now as adults. <laughs> I feel like we're too aware. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like you know how kids sometimes. will just jump off of stuff? They don't know that yeah. they can get really hurt, so they just do yeah. whatever they want. I feel like that, like, helps people sometimes, like, just do it, you know? I I think for me, it helps to have ambition and a touch of delusion <laughs> yeah. a touch of delusion like I, yeah. I'm saying I can't do this I think I can do this and then sometimes I get myself too far in and realize like oh maybe maybe I did get a little bit in over my head but it's fine we work through those moments <laughs> was a I just have a question to follow up was it sure ever like because I know when I went to college I had like a culture shock for other reasons but like going from doing independent study to maybe full-time at a like if you dormed there if you stayed there like was that weird ever or like different yeah so I definitely had there was culture shocks but it was somewhat of a mild transition like my younger sister now is in her sophomore year of college and is at a big school that's, you know, far, not in California, um, and has more of a party culture, and definitely looking at her school's culture, I was like, I don't think I could have made it there, <laughs> um, because the school I went to is about 20 minutes from where I grew up, so mm. I just took the bus 
every day. And um, I didn't live away from home when I went to college. Um, and my school was, so CSU Channel Islands is one of Cal State's, um, and it's a renovated, it used to be a state mental hospital. And it's like really out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and um, there's just not much going on on campus. <laughs> like there's just no parties on campus. Um, and, you know, not a ton of drinking culture. So there weren't a ton of things like I didn't participate in because of my age. Um, is a big commuter school. Like I think mm. over half of the people there commuted. Um, so definitely had a different college atmosphere than like a lot of colleges do. Um, so I think that that kind of helped acclimate me like, you know, it's not, I'm not starting college young and my first time living away from home and mm -hmm. like not fitting in super well culturally. Um, and definitely though, like there was definitely still some culture shock. <laughs> like I, I don't think being homeschooled, I had as many opportunities like to socialize always as I was definitely more awkward when I started college <laughs> and kind of had to work through that um, and just kind of find my people. Um, so actually when I was there, I started the Hillel on campus, which is like a Jewish oh. student organization. <gasps> um, so that helped me kind of build a community like okay we have something in common I can figure out how to talk to these people <laughs> um we can have events that we plan together you know so I think that that kind of helped me and like we're building this thing too so I can go talk to people and find people that want to join right so mm. kind of helped me put myself out there a little bit more um there were definitely culture shock elements but also I I think I thought people would treat me very differently if they knew how old I was. So I also just wouldn't really talk about it with people. <laughs> like I had people I was friends with that didn't know until after I graduated <laughs> that I was like a lot younger than them. <laughs> so um, the, I think that's part of what I did to kind of help myself blend in is I just tried to not call very much attention to it. <laughs> mm. But I mean, it was like, not obvious so you were like emotionally and like professionally maybe just at the same par like I wonder if if that was something that you had to like pick up on like by yourself if that makes sense or did you have some sort of like talk sit down and talk with your mom and be like okay here's how a college student acts even though I'm 15 <laughs> <laughs> I think I had no my mom definitely didn't talk to me I don't think my mom thought through a lot of like, <laughs> logistics of me <laughs> um but I think having taken community college classes for a while I think that that helped prepare me for college mm. a lot because like you know I was also having to take responsibility and ownership for that where it's like you know grades that are going to be on my college transcript forever and you know, my mom's like you it's fine for you to take this at 13 but like <laughs> it will have an actual impact right um and like I was responsible for like walking to the bus stop and getting myself to campus and like my mom's not reading what's on my syllabus right like I need to put into my calendar when my exams are um so I think that as far as like the responsibility and how to professionally behave in college the like those classes even though it was maybe like one a semester or something it kind of helped I I knew what to expect for the most part um, and then I think also I had made a few friends at the community college. So I kind of was like, okay, I can kind of chameleon my way in with college students <laughs> and figure out how to interact with people. 
or if that doesn't work, I can also just be the baby of the group and people can just expect less from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, both good options. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you mentioned this a little bit along the way too, that like your mom played a huge role in just being like, yeah, Rachel, let's go for it. Or like really being there as part of your support system and since um, I've known you, like people always say that you're such a good role model. You're such a good person to go talk to. And I completely agree. And I was just curious, like, who is that person for you? Or like along the way, um, so you have your mom, you have maybe like a really good teacher. At some point in your education, you have a um, rock star PhD advisor, Sonia Neal. So maybe you could share like along the way, like how um, those role models play a part in how you develop your own kind of like sense of mentorship and how that really impacts your growth as a Yeah, person. that's a good question. Cause I don't think I've thought a ton about role models growing up. Like obviously my advisor, who I'm sure I'll talk about more at some point, <laughs> is like a huge role model for me now. Um, but now thinking back on it, definitely a lot growing up, I generally had a lot of respect for my teachers and um, I definitely my third grade teacher, I think like knew that I was overly ambitious about things and thought I was a little ridiculous, but like very, very supportive. <laughs> um, and um, I, I had a few teachers, I'd say like every few years that were very, very supportive um, and very, very attentive. And I think like in third grade, I got really, really into reading. And as a kid, I used to read a ton <laughs> of books, which I think is very common among people that become scientists. <laughs> um, and so she like made me extra um, book report assignments in class, to, like <laughs> encourage it for me. Um, and my mom, um, I think I, yeah, I was third grade and my mom didn't want me to read all the Harry Potter books yet because she thought that they were like too violent for my age. <laughs> and this like third grade teacher was like, oh, it's okay. Like, I'll tell your mom you're doing it as part of a book report. <laughs> like, was like, you know, help me get away with things, but like very supportive. Um, so I think I had a few great teachers like before I was homeschooled um, that really built up my confidence or like people I respected and like made me feel like I wanted to be educated like they were when I was older. Um, and then definitely when I got to college, I had a few professors that were like that. A lot of people in the biology department um, that I, you know, ended up interacting a lot with as mentors and role models. And one of the things I want to say about my undergrad was obviously I picked it because I wasn't allowed to live away from home <laughs> that young. And my mom wanted me to stay at home. Um, and it was a state school. And um, I had kind of thought like, oh, maybe I'll want to go here a year or two and like transfer to a UC or something like that. But I ended up mm. really loving it um, because it's the one of the newest CSUs and it was really, really tiny at the time, like 5,000 students. Oh, wow. And most of my classes had like 20 to 40 people. Um, so I had a lot of access to my professors that I don't think I would have had everywhere else. Um, and, you know, they kind of always say how no one ever came to office hours. So then I became the really annoying student <laughs> that went to all of their office hours um, and just kind of would ask them, like, you know, how they got where they are. I, I love asking people that, like, either in academia or in industry, like, what was the route you took to get here? How do I become you when I grow up? <laughs> 
Um, so definitely during college, probably like most of the biology department came, became those sort of role models for me. Um, and like people I kept in contact with even since I finished. Um, so definitely a big preference in role models and mentors towards people that have been my educators. Um, mm. And then I think the last few years, uh, I know we'll talk about later on, like internships and industry sort of areas. Um, but I think within areas outside of academia, which is more new to me, I'm kind of picking up like, who are the people whose values seem to align with mine, whose careers I respect, who are, you know, further along in their career than I am, that I can kind of look up to as those people to give me advice. So that I'm still working out more who those people are going to be. Um, but definitely, like, I think it's really important for your own growth. You kind of find people at every stage of your career or education that are, you know, different levels of beyond where you're at right then. <laughs> so you have someone like, okay, I can aspire in five years to be like this person or 10 years to be like that person. Um, and I think that's that's helped me a lot along the way. That's awesome. I, I have a quick follow-up follow up question, um, which is, I get this question a lot from like my students or mentees, but like, I always tell them pretty much the same thing. They're like, oh, you should talk to different people, see where they're at, see where they came from and kind of learn. And a lot of my students say like, but how? Like, I can't just email like a random person. So what's like your favorite like advice to give students when they're kind of like, oh, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's a good idea. How would I go about doing that? Do you have like a, maybe a recipe for that? So that's the fun part is you can just email a random person <laughs> if you want to meet with them. Um, this is actually something I struggled with a lot until the last year or two. So hopefully I actually do have some decent advice on this. Um, and I think even though we've talked a little bit about like, you know, I, I was someone who's open to taking risks, doing something that are kind of outside of the norm. There are definitely still areas where I was like, ah, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to put myself out there. Like, I'm just going to embarrass myself. And I think definitely reaching out to people and, you know, like, okay, this is a new person that I have to talk about myself to. And they may think that, you know, they don't want to help me or that I'm like, haven't accomplished enough. I don't know. All those sort of insecurities come out um, where I think for a lot of my development, it's just been easier to find people kind of already in my circle. And then more recently, I've definitely realized the value of reaching out to people <laughs> that, you know, just seem like they would be good people to talk to about, um, about career development. And I found like most people are very, very kind and very willing to give some of their time. Um, and usually if they're not, they're still not mean about it. <laughs> like they're just like, no, I'm really busy or, um, you know, some reason that's really not anything about you. Um, and there's like so much value that I've gotten out of like literally my go-to way is not email, but finding people on LinkedIn and being like, Hey, I want to go into this career path or, I'm trying to figure out my career path and what you do sounds really interesting. Like my favorite is like, can I, can we meet if they live in the area? Like, can I get you coffee? And can we talk for 30 minutes about how you got where you are? Um, and I've also learned everyone likes to be complimented. <laughs> so 
So if you you intro it with like, oh, your career path seems so amazing. Like your job seems so interesting, something like that. Like, I want to know more about you and not like, oh, I'm trying to get a job where you're working. (laughs) Like what approach you're taking to it. Like maybe once you actually develop a relationship with this person, then you can slide in the like, hey, so are you hiring where you work or something like that? Um, But I think coming at it initially from a very genuine perspective of just like, I want to know more about you. Like generally people really like talking about themselves. So (laughs) people are open to like taking an opportunity to do that. That's great advice. I love free coffee. (laughs) I know I like, I've had undergrads ask me definitely, and I'm never going (laughs) to turn someone down if they want to meet up for coffee. (laughs) And I I think just to add on to that, um, for people that are trying to, you know, put themselves out there more and like grow their network, find potential mentors. Um, I also think it's important to be kind of deliberate about it. Um, Like, Mm. you know, just be considerate of people's time and really like have a, a reason that, you know, it doesn't have to be a really, really big, important reason, but go to not just like, Hey, I'm trying to grow my network. Can we talk about whatever, <laughs> like, uh, give like more of a concrete reason of like, Hey, I'm trying to explore different career paths. And I'd love to talk to you about what you do. Just kind of have like an intention so that you're using your time wisely and they know they're using their time wisely. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, I even prefer it if they give like a little snippet of like, Hey, what's the agenda? But I. It could be less, um, I guess, like structured than that. Plus, it's always good to know like what to expect. So maybe you can like read up on stuff or like prepare to talk about something. Yeah, I'm definitely someone that likes a heads up about (laughs) what's going on. on. (laughs) So I don't feel caught off guard. Um, Or yeah, you know, especially if it's something where like a student wants to um, talk to me about you know, how to find a research lab or something like that. If I know that ahead of time, I can start asking around like, okay, who wants to take an undergrad in their lab? Who can I recommend to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's beneficial from your perspective to kind of have a focused conversation and also mm-hmm. beneficial from the side of the person you're talking to. And I would say too, like, I remember cold emailing people or being on Twitter. Oh, does anyone know anyone who works in like blank? And it's just like, People are very willing to talk to you. Um, don't be scared. And like what you said uh, earlier is also true. Like even if they say no, they're not going to be like mean about it. They're just going to give you an excuse that has nothing to do with you. You know, like don't take it personally or anything. Um, there'll be other people who are willing to talk to you. So right, and I yeah. I definitely think it's it's more of just getting comfortable with it. Because it seems scary before you do it. Like, what stranger is going to want to talk to me? <laughs> like, why would they talk to me if there's someone that's, you know, someone I'm looking up to? Um, and so it's just kind of pushing yourself. I think for myself, sometimes if things like that make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, I'll set very concrete goals. Like, I'm going to try to talk to one person I don't know every month about what they do for their job. The, you know, like someone that has a PhD in biology. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, once you've done it like five times, then you don't really need those goals for yourself anymore because you've kind of, you're realizing the value you're getting out of it. And you're realizing like, oh, everyone didn't start hating me because I (laughs) messaged them on LinkedIn and asked to get coffee. (laughs) 
All right. So let's take a quick break. Thank you so much, Rachel. Uh, We're going to hear from our sponsors before we continue our chat. Canva Pro is a premium plan of Canva that comes with additional features, including unlimited storage for photos and assets. You can upload your own images and access millions of photos. You'll get exclusive access to 400,000 free photos, illustrations, and templates. Sign up and get a 30-day free trial with our link so you can make cool things to put up on your walls or flyers to promote your events. And you can do this by going to this link, partner.canva.com slash triplicates. Check Study gives you access to homework help and allows you to look up answers to questions found in textbooks, which Check keeps as a database. You can also submit new questions to experts and get answers to them as little as 30 minutes. Use the code Chegg. AFF5. That is all capital letters C H E G G A F F 5 for $5 off your first month of check. All right. Love to hear from our sponsors. That was lovely. Welcome back, everyone. Um, so, this first part of the podcast, we kind of wanted to, you know, get to know Rachel, get to know where she's coming from. Why are we interviewing her? But now we want to get into, you know, deeper dive, more details, learn more about her. Um, so this is what this next section of the podcast is about. So Amanda, do you want us to hit us with our first question? Yeah, since we are kind of a grad school survival guide and hello, Dr. Rachel has survived. Um, <laughs> we want to hear a little bit more about like, um, you know, there's like highs and lows, right? Uh, so how do you oh, get through these times that are like, kind of not great but also like you also some great things maybe along the way or just happening um you know like how do you get through the ebbs and flows of grad school so I obviously have now only had three days of post-grad school experience (laughs) Um, but my my hope for myself is that grad school was the most um emotional roller coaster of a few years that I'll ever have (laughs) um oh no it's just a lot of like definitely the highs are very high and I think especially for most people unless you know maybe they've had a lot of industry uh, industry experience or time as a lab tech um but I think for most people like a lot of the major accomplishments in your career up to that point will have been grad school accomplishments um so you know all those first milestones like first uh research paper you're on first first author paper first conference you're presenting at um all of those are like definitely the highlights um you know first like award that comes with money that you're getting (laughs) like all of those sort of things are definitely um major highlights and there's a lot a lot of events in grad school that like are, you know, some of, some of my favorite things that have happened to me in my life. But on the other side of that, like there is, a, I remember before coming to grad school, like most people kind of seriously warned me about going to grad school. Like, even if they recommended it, everyone tells you grad school is hard. Right. And I think I was like, oh, it's not, it's going to be fine. And there's like a reason people tell you that grad school is hard. Um, and I think like one of the most difficult things for me getting through grad school, that's also probably more of a personality thing also, uh, is that it, 
never really feels like anything is coming together until it comes together. <laughs> so I think like you almost feel like there's not really an end in sight until the end comes. <laughs> um, and so I definitely felt like that through a lot of my project. Like, I don't know that I love the direction this is going. I don't know that I can come up with other directions for it to go. Like, then all of the kind of questioning yourself, like, is my data even real? Like, does my project <laughs> matter? Um, so I, there think that, I think that all of that um, is kind of what makes it difficult uh, like more emotionally um because it's not just like a regular job where you're gonna do it for a few years and then move on somewhere else like there's a big milestone at the end of it that's also not like maybe going to med school or something where there's very concrete things you do and a timeline that you get there it's like oh at some point in the future you'll maybe become a doctor if you like have a project that works out <laughs> Um, so I think that that kind of thing hanging over me was hard to work through. Um, and like, I felt it at more time at certain times more than at others for sure. Um, so I just think, I think that that kind of like ambivalence that comes with grad school, <laughs> not knowing quite what your timeline is or like how your project is going to pan out is definitely like what was most difficult to me about grad school and probably not something I thought about or appreciated very much um, before I came. But I think that that kind of brings me back to the, all those highlights and having those first milestones is you really need to like celebrate all of those and be excited for all of those to kind of get yourself through those rougher patches. Um, and you'll that like everyone's gonna have a few rough patches in grad school. It's just how it ends up going. <laughs> Did you find that it was uh, like uncommon for people to celebrate those like smaller milestones or did you sort of like find your people and find your lab and they're like like-minded so you're like okay this is the thing that we do. Yeah I think definitely my lab does like to celebrate those sort of milestones um, and I think you know I believe in treating myself probably way too often. Um, so I probably like over celebrate the milestones. It'll be like, oh, yay, I'm going to celebrate that we submitted this paper. And then like, oh, it gets rejected two weeks later. So now <laughs> the next place we submit it to, right? Yeah. Um, but I think just like kind of building in those rewards for yourself of like recognizing that you you did something that um, is in the grand scheme of things, something like most people aren't going to do in their life. Like we're all very fortunate to be in grad school and it's an experience that yes has a lot of rough points in it um but I think like in the end for most people it ends up being worth it um and it's kind of like hard to see that when you're in it and just kind of feels like a slog so being able to like create events for yourself to to get yourself through those hard parts is really important and yeah definitely I will always try to um, like any paper that comes out, um, even like for my undergrads, like any scholarship they get, like at the very least, like let's go get coffee and like take an hour out of lab to go like talk about what a big accomplishment this is and just enjoy ourselves for a little bit. Um, I think it's important to build into your routine. <laughs> yeah, that's really sweet. Uh, and yeah. when things are like 
one of those more rough patches, it's you can start celebrating even more minor things. <laughs> I folded my laundry. Oh. <laughs> exactly. I actually started doing that for a while, uh, but I was I was just kind of lacking motivation, not as much in lab, but just in everything else outside of lab. Um, I've kind of found I'm always like that. Like I'll have a few areas of my life together, and then one area that's very much not together. <laughs> Um, so there was a while where I was like very focused on lab and then kind of neglecting everything else. And I'd start putting in my to-do list with my lab stuff, like do laundry, do dishes, like oh, and treating it, treating it as just as important as everything else on my list, just so that I'd actually do it. Like, okay, if I'm going to do this PCR, I also need to do my dishes today. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I've never thought of putting them all on the same list. I feel like I always have them on separate lists. That's smart. Well, if they're all on the same list, you can check off more boxes. Yeah. Yes, but then I can check off more boxes on different papers and then it feels like more. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you know the thing where they like, um, they have like a piece of something and then they have the same piece cut in eight parts and they show mm-hmm. two children and they're like, which one is bigger? <laughs> <laughs> No, I know, but I guess I'm I, a child. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 they're very smart. They figure it out. <laughs> no, I think it's true, though. Like, sometimes you almost have to trick yourself with these little psychology things to, to help motivate yourself. I think that's something else about grad school. Is like, you need a lot of self-motivation. Like, yeah, it might seem dumb in some ways, but if that's what gets you through, then that's what gets you through. And I definitely love my to-do lists and my check boxes that I need to physically fill out. And I'll put like every tiny thing on there. So then I get to check off lots of things. Um, and, you know, maybe like write your thesis is still not checked off, but I checked off like 10 things underneath mm-hmm. it at 22 mm-hmm. minutes each. And that makes me, gives me a, a false sense of having gotten things done. But it's it's definitely those sort of habits um, that help get you through grad school. Um, and I think there was something I saw uh, posted somewhere online a while ago about like just showing up every day and giving what you can that day. And sometimes that'll be like 120%. Some days that's just 30%, but that's still better than like not having done anything, right? So I think I'm definitely someone in the past who would kind of feel like demotivated if I wasn't hitting everything I wanted to do for that day. So I think also during grad school, you're like, okay, nothing is ever going to be perfect. So starting to back away from that and accepting more like, I'm going to do what I can today. And maybe every day that's not, you know, what I want it to be. But as long as I'm consistent about it, it'll get done at some point. Definitely, yeah, grad school, the the self-motivation. <laughs> I, I think like being homeschooled helped me for that. But grad school was a lot more than that even. <laughs> um, so there's, there's not like concrete assignments that you have to do, right? Like you basically come up with your own assignments slash experiments <laughs> that you like need to motivate yourself to do. Um and, you know, with the exception of maybe undergrads that work on your project with you, you're not, no one else is going to do your project for you. <laughs> so like, okay, I, I came up with this experiment. I think it'll be really cool. Like I have to be the one that gets up and does this, or it's just not going to happen. Um, so I think like figuring out early on in grad school, how, 
how to get yourself to consistently be doing that, even when it's maybe like not your favorite thing in the world to be doing at that moment um, was really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so like with lab, you kind of, kind of, sorry, words, you kind of touched upon this of like, sometimes you have other things or all the time you have other things going on other than lab. Like we aren't just scientists on the bench, but we're human beings, right? So is there anything that you did outside of grad school to like keep up with things? Um, like, did you have hobbies? Um, we'll start with that maybe. And then we'll yeah, move on. Yeah, I think definitely important for me. And I found that I don't really do my best science when I'm running on fumes. Like some of the periods of grad school where I was in lab, the longest hours are when I got the least data. <laughs> um, just because I was I was completely burnt out and doing things over and over again that weren't working. Mm -hmm. It's usually like when I kind of take a step back, you know, be on a more reasonable schedule, that's when it would magically start working again. Um, and I, I think I really got motivated for that by my advisor. Um, so my advisor, Dr. Sonia Neal, which is an assistant professor at UCSD, is her first grad student. Um, and she had a baby her first year of grad school and her first year as a professor. Um, and she has the best time management of anyone I've ever met. Uh, and she says her grad school schedule was like very strict eight hours a day, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. every Monday through Friday. Um, and then, you know, obviously even experiment um, required it outside of that, but generally like very strict on those hours. Um, and she still comes into lab periodically and will get done more done in four hours in lab than I feel like I do in a few days in lab. Um, so definitely watching her and like how she focuses on one thing at a time, but does it really well the, in a very short amount of time. Whereas I found I was like, my idea of what it meant to be productive at first was working on a lot of things all at once. And then kind of everything would fall apart at some point. Um, and it was really hard for me to get out of that mindset and switch over to like, okay, I actually probably, if I plan things out more and, and I'm more deliberate about it, I'll actually probably be better off than whatever I'm doing right now. <laughs> um, so there's definitely a switch in me at some point in grad school where I got much better about work-life balance. Um, actually, that was my 2020 New Year's resolution was to never <laughs> have on a weekend. Mm. Um, and I'm pretty good about that besides maybe like setting stuff up for Monday. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't do my new rules, like no major experiments on the weekend. Um, my first year, there were a few like, oh, I spent 12 hours on a Saturday and then I was burnt out and tired and ruined everything at 8 p.m. <laughs> so oh, it was sort of experiences that made me realize like, okay, maybe I can just prioritize a bit differently and not have a reason to be here on a Saturday. Um, and it it definitely worked out. Like it's it's definitely some trial and error of figuring out what works for you. Um, and definitely some people, you know, they have I some people have different standards of like what a work-life balance means to them as far as you know, more emphasis on the work. <laughs> um, but I definitely found for myself, I've kind of gone through phases where I'll either want to spend more time in lab or. You know, I think when things are going really well, I like to keep that momentum going. 
And then it's a little bit harder when things are consistently really not working. Um, and I feel like it's those moments when things are consistently not working that I, I need to keep showing up, but I also need to have things that matter to me outside of lab. <laughs> so I feel like those are the periods of time when my hobbies get built up the most. Um, and I'm someone who, I don't have very many hobbies that I stick to for a very long time. I kind of pick things up for a little while and then move on to something else. Um, so I probably had a lot of different things I've tried during grad school. Um, and I think it, it doesn't matter really what it is, just find whatever interests you. But having something outside of grad school that you're enjoying, um, maybe something that's one day a week that starts at 5.30 so you know you have to be home by that time on every Thursday or something can be really helpful. Um, I got into board games in the last two years, probably. And for a while was doing that with other grad school friends where we do a board game night um, one night a week. It was helpful. Like, okay, everyone has to be done at lab by six. And then we're all going to get pizza and have a glass of wine and play a board game for a few hours. Like no one's going to be writing or working on a paper when they get home for that night. Right. So kind of building in those things for yourself. Um, and I think also, uh, not related to hobbies, but just um, creating boundaries between your work and your life is also really important. Like definitely, I'm very guilty of this, like checking my emails at any hour of the day and just, you know, checking on my phone and respond from bed. Um, but I do try to be okay about that of like, okay, when by the time dinner starts, I'm not going to try to open my laptop again, unless it's something really pressing. Um, and I think just having those kind of distinctions really help a lot with not overworking yourself and getting burnt out. Um, I also found just living not near campus helped me because <laughs> uh, I used to live in graduate housing in UCSD <laughs> and I would drive home to have dinner and then drive back to lab because <laughs> it was so close by um, there like I think just having now more of a physical separation like once I'm gone for the day I'm done like yes I can do computer stuff um, but I'm not gonna be going back and forth to lab um, or staying there super late um, so I think you know, kind of making not strict rules for yourself, but guidelines of how you're going to separate yourself um, from it, because it, it can be really hard to just focus on science all the time. And I think having it bleed over into too much of your life outside of uh, grad school and lab ends up in burnout very quickly. Um, and you may might not realize it till it ends up happening. <laughs> so it's it's better to just develop things into your routine earlier on rather than later that help you get there. And for you, science, the science you do is not like, or at least related to it. Um, it's not just at the bench, but I know that, or maybe I don't know. I think that you've done internships that are involved in industry and tech, um, specifically nucleate. Asam is also a part of um, one, how do you balance doing that and your bench work? And also, like, how do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Is it something you classify as fun? Yeah, so um, I've done two internships during graduate school, one both in venture capital, um, one with a very large VC fund um, that was a pretty considerable time commitment, but still part-time. Um, that invested in later stage companies, and then one now that's um, more limited in the amount of time and very, very early stage. Um, 
And uh, I'm also, yes, as you mentioned, involved in Nucleate with Asama. And so for anyone that doesn't know, Nucleate is a now international um, student-run organization that uh, really uplifts the next generation of biotech entrepreneurs by focusing on graduate students and postdocs that want to spin out a project from their lab um, into a startup. And so I participated in a program they have for spinning out a company last year. Um, and then this year, I've been very involved in leadership with finding potential new companies um, for the program this year. And definitely, both of those things, or all of these, I definitely would categorize still as work. But I think for myself, um, it feels very different than grad school. And I do give myself leniency to do it like outside of normal working hours, but I definitely try to keep myself in check of like, okay, is this something I feel like I'm going to get burnt out? Because I think for myself, kind of having those variability in what my tasks are is actually very helpful to me. Like, okay, even if I'm doing bench science all day or reading papers for my thesis project, I'm really enjoying learning about something completely new um, for my internship, either a new area of science or like maybe something in finance, something that I know absolutely nothing about. Um, having those sort of opportunities, definitely, it didn't feel as much like having a ton of extra work. It kind of felt like a hobby <laughs> in some ways. Um, but there were definitely times where it got a bit overwhelming and I had to learn how to start saying no to more things and recognizing more like, okay, I can't be in lab 40 hours a week and then decide I'm going to add a 20 hour a week thing on top of it. And then another 10 hour a week thing on top of that and still have everything be fine. Like even if it, even if when I'm burnt out of lab, it feels a little bit different to be doing internship work. It still is not the same as relaxing for sure. <laughs> uh, so I think it's all about finding the balance of what works for you. Um, I think one thing that helped me was that both of the internships I've done have been part-time and Nucleate also um, is like a volunteer-based organization. So it's kind of on your own schedule. Um, and with the, the first internship I did that was a bit more time intensive, like figuring out my schedule at the beginning of the week of like, okay, these th three days, I really need to focus on bench work. So I'm going to put as many meetings as possible on the day I don't have that. Or like, let me schedule in two hours in between an experiment to fit in some work for the internship. Um, and also just figuring out like what everyone wants from you because it is a lot to be juggling like I don't want to let down the people I'm doing the internship for I don't want to let down my advisor um so figuring out if there's a way like okay maybe I'm picking up this 10 hour week internship and I maybe will work like five hours less in lab and still just try to make sure it works with my advisor that I'm getting a little bit less done in lab but not taking away from lab too much that I'm like not very productive there. Um, so it definitely was some trial and error for sure. And there were some weeks where I was just felt like I was drowning <laughs> with how much was going on. Um, definitely the last, there was a stretch of time in the first internship where I am not a morning person, but I started waking up at 7am and just started working and then 
would do internship stuff for a few hours, go to lab and then come home and then do like another several hours of internship work. And I feel like when you're in those sort of situations, you kind of just go into survival mode for a bit. And I felt like it was, it was fine. I figured like I will survive doing this for a month, but it's definitely not something that's sustainable. Um, so I think figuring out for yourself, like, okay, can I do this? How long can I do this for? And how long do I have to do this for? And then figuring out like where you need to cut down from there. Um, and I've definitely found times where I'm like, okay, this is hard, <laughs> but I can do it for a month. But after that month, if it's still this busy, I need to tell someone no to something. <laughs> so I think that's kind of how I've, I've juggled the internships. So you did say this does end up being work. It does take up time on that side of your brain, on your other side of your brain, where you classify fun. Like, what does Rachel do on the weekends when she's <laughs> not in lab on Saturdays? Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I, um, I think also just because I don't have a ton of free time, I try to pack a lot into that free time. <laughs> um, so I really love cooking. And more recently, that's something I've actually tried to set as a goal more during the week too. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that separating work from the rest of my life uh, is like, okay, I'm going to go grocery shopping every day after lab and make myself a meal and not just stop by McDonald's on the way home. Um, and so I think that as a hobby has like helped include a lot of separation in my life. And then definitely on the weekends, um, you know, I live in downtown San Diego and I think that that has helped me get out more on the weekends. Like I'm going to go try a new restaurant or like try this new cocktail bar that just opened. Right. Uh, and I, my boyfriend and I really like golfing. I'm horrible at it. This is one of my other tips about <laughs> Like you don't have to be good at a hobby. Just find something that you think is fun <laughs> that you're willing to try to get better at. I, I think that there's not a ton that I'm naturally very good at and don't have to work for it all. So I'm just okay with hobbies that I'm horrible at to start with <laughs> and have to like work at it a lot over time. Um, so golf is definitely one of those things where I'm like, I'm still horrible, but if you saw how I was a year and a half ago when I started, it's a massive improvement. <laughs> Um, and it's definitely something I feel like no matter how long I do it I'll always have room to get better at it or like have a new thing I can focus on um so that's been a really good hobby to pick up during grad school and just nice to give yourself a reason to be outside for four hours on a Saturday and like you know drive my little golf cart buy new golf outfits (laughs) (laughs) um I I really enjoy it um and let's see for yeah outside of that for hobbies board games is definitely fun and I think like something that is kind of reminds me of science in some ways of a lot of these are like solving puzzles like they're engaging in some way but not in a draining work sort of way (laughs) um and I'm I'm a pretty social person so definitely try to every weekend build in some sort of time with friends like either, you know, calling friends and family or FaceTiming them or going out to brunch with friends or just having people over to hang out. Um, I definitely try to pack as much into every weekend as possible. Um, And I love traveling. It's definitely more of a struggle during grad school, like financially to do that. Um, But something I've found works well for me 
uh, is like every month or so to try to take a three-day weekend. Um, this gives me like a little extra time to relax, uh, try to do like local trips in California, find some way to, to take a little bit of extra time to breathe and get out of San Diego for a little bit. It's lovely here, but after four years straight, need, need time somewhere else every once in a while. I've definitely enjoyed seeing like, oh, what is Rachel up to this weekend? Where is the sushi place? <laughs> So, yes, definitely. A, it a, helps me too. Um, <laughs> a lot of eating out <laughs> for sure. Or like that one time, Amanda and Lenise and I went to this bagel place and Rachel texted me like a few minutes after and she's like, I'm there. <laughs> I know, it's nomad bagels and nomad donuts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in San Diego. Yeah, I am always looking for good um, bagel shops in San Diego and there's very few. It's very interesting. <laughs> but yeah that's even something I try to set as a goal once a week is like I want to try a new place to go out to eat or grab a drink at um I definitely become kind of a creature of habit and just do the same thing all the time (laughs) to try to like build into my routine some more variety well besides nomad donuts um any other special shout outs to maybe (laughs) people in your life your mentors your friends family this yeah, is so like, like, I would say this is like the end of your dissertation talk, if you want to <laughs> put it knowledge. on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so definitely Nomad Donuts made the the very <laughs> shout out of this <laughs> podcast, um, which is probably like correctly explains how I prioritize food versus everything else in my life. Um, but definitely for shout outs and I'll just pretty much go over what I did as acknowledgements during my defense. Um, I talked a little bit about my advisor already, but Sonia is like such an incredible human being. And I, I think people don't always believe you when you say you have a PhD advisor that's amazing in every way. It's usually very much not true. We, I mean, like no one is perfect except for Sonia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she's just a very inspirational person and a really incredible mentor. Um, and I think in science, like it can, it's be in academia, it can be hard to always find people that are incredible scientists and very kind and very empathetic. Um, I feel like probably how how it is to come up through academia pushes out a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really amazing to be able to work with an advisor who, you know, coming up through grad school, there's like a lot of horrible experiences and she's stuck with it. And it's like now the change that she wants to see in academia um, so I feel really honored that I got to join her lab. I feel like our lab is super competitive to join now because everyone wants to join. But when I joined, there was like barely even a lab that existed. <laughs> um, and so she was like, wanted any grad student to join if they if they wanted to. I don't know that I'd make the cut for joining the Neil lab now. <laughs> don't say that. Oh my gosh. Not true. It was, it was less competitive. We didn't have like every rotation filled up <laughs> back at that point. Um, so definitely biggest shout out to Sonia. Um, I will give a shout out to my cat, Leroy. <laughs> for, 
for emotionally getting me through grad school. I think a lot of us have pets during grad school. A lot of people get their pets during grad school because they like need something outside of life <laughs> to focus on. Um, and also my boyfriend, Elliot, dated for a year and a half. So it's been during grad school um, and just a very, very supportive partner, which you know, I know not everyone has during grad school, but I think if you can find that, it helps a lot. Um, and definitely like the last few months of working on my thesis, very um, time demanding. And it was definitely one of those periods where I felt like there wasn't as much time for other parts of my life. And just having someone who is like, don't worry about it. I'm going to make dinner every night or like, telling me that it's a good time to take a pause and let's watch Real Housewives for an hour. <laughs> um, or like, okay, I'm booking time to go golf this weekend. So you cannot use your computer for these these four hours. <laughs> um, those sort of things really just helped to get me through this last part and like keep myself in check. And just, um, he, I'm very type A and he's less type A than I am. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, just being, having someone that's like, you know, this is really in the grand scheme of things is all going to be fine. Like, let's just take a deep breath and not be stressed out several months before your thesis defense about something that you don't have a ton of control over. Right. Um, so definitely he's been great for giving me those sort of reminders and keeping me more sane <laughs> during this time. Um, and then yeah, other shout outs. Definitely my lab mates are incredible and very motivating. Um, I really like in my lab, everyone's very supportive of each other. And something I've noticed in academia in general that's been very odd to me is there's a lot of competition when there doesn't really need to be. I think for me, one of the things I really like about grad school is like you're, for the most people, doing their own project primarily on their own and like their progress is their progress. You're not like competing to do something faster than someone else necessarily. Um, and I think a lot of times people turn it into a competition. <laughs> like I think in grad school, we can all win and be successful, right? It's not me competing against someone else. Um, and I think our lab does that very well where it's like, oh, it doesn't, who cares about if the person working next to you's paper is going to be a higher impact paper than yours, right? Like we can be happy for everyone regardless of all of that. <laughs> um, and I think like just taking it a little less seriously um, as far as the competition aspect and like more trying to be the best version of yourself rather than like a better version of the person next to you. <laughs> um, and I think that that kind of culture in my lab really helps a lot that we all we all like celebrate each other's milestones together. So I think going back to like throwing in celebrations for achievements in grad school, like even if I'm going through a rough patch, I can celebrate like another grad student in the lab getting a fellowship, right? Because that's kind of more of the culture we have is it's not like, oh, it sucks because everything's going badly for me. And then this other person's getting this award. It's like, oh, things are going badly for me, but at least I can be excited that someone else got an award. Um, so I think making that sort of culture um, is has been really incredible. And I'm just really 
really grateful for all of my lab mates. And then special shout out to my undergrad, Jasmine Jung, who is, um, I like, couldn't have done gotten through this and not brought up Jasmine. <laughs> um, his, I worked with her for about three years. Um, and she's like by far the most ambitious person I know. I don't know how <laughs> I her. Um, and she has so much more energy than I will ever have. Um, as far as if you want someone to tell you how to network, um, <laughs> reach out to people, she, I will t- like, she told me she wanted to do an MD PhD and like, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of people that I know that did it, didn't end up loving it. So if you want to do that, that's great, but go ask people about it. And then she comes back the next week and is like, oh, I reached out to five random people and asked them how their MD PhD was. And I decided I want to do it. (laughs) Okay. So she went and did her homework for sure. Uh, (laughs) It's really great about like being super proactive about finding mentorship. Um, And uh, it's been really great during grad school to see her progression. Um, She's, I never touched a microscope in grad school and she's become like the microscopy queen in our lab and everyone else gets her on their projects to do to do that for them um and she has gotten like more research awards than I can count um and recently she went to softness like got a travel scholarship for that got a, a poster award um so it's really awesome just like every month I know there's going to be a different achievement from Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Lovely. Um, so before we say goodbye, I want to ask for a friend, AKA me, um, and <laughs> the rest of us, what advice would you give to a current PhD student in their third year? In their third year? Mm-hmm. I feel like, third to fourth year is when people start to become a little bit more jaded. <laughs> um, so that's probably the, the, <laughs> the correct time to start picking up a hobby. <laughs> um, but I think also um, like more from the science side, I think third year is a good time to spend some time thinking outside of specific experiments about your project. Like uh, one thing that's really helpful for me around that point was I had a, not enough data for a paper, but enough data to kind of know sort of generally the direction of the project. Um, and so one thing I did was I storyboarded the project with Sonia of like, okay, this is the data I have and kind of the story I might tell about that. And obviously it changed all the time, but basically lining out and actually drawing out like what it, not what the results would look like, but you know, what type of experiment I'm going to do for the rest of the figures. And I think kind of having in mind, like, okay, this is the time in my project where I might stop being so exploratory and just trying a lot of different things and kind of figuring out a few focuses of my project and determining more where I want to take this. Um, I think probably around my third year, that was really beneficial for the direction of the project to do. Um, but also, you know, if you need another year for the project to be very exploratory, also go for that. I I definitely had a mix um, within there. Um, and yeah, definitely find ways to motivate yourself and things to be excited about outside of lab. 
so that when you, you can keep having those trade-offs of like, yes, be very excited when things are going amazingly well in lab, but also when things are not as great there, you still have a lot in your life to be excited about and basically making it a component of your life, not, not what your mood is going to be dependent on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think early on in grad school, my mood was very dependent on how my project was going. So like mm-hmm. disconnecting myself, not like turning it into strictly a nine to five sort of job and you know, completely forgetting about it afterwards. Like I, I still definitely thought about it a lot, but disconnecting it a little bit more of like detaching how I was feeling emotionally Mm -hmm. from anything that was happening in the lab. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely something I wish I had done earlier in my PhD. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's great advice for sure. Very sage advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's now time. We're going to round out the show. We're going to do some observations, run some stats on our data. Asama, what is the question of the week? So the question is, since now we're transitioning from fall to winter and there's a few holidays um, here and there, do you like fall or winter better? I don't know. I think (laughs) we can go around. We can go around. (laughs) I'm going to go fall for two reasons. One, it's my birthday. Uh, Mm -hmm. National holiday should be my birthday. (laughs) Um, Halloween. And those two things back to back, I think can do more for my mental well-being (laughs) um, than any Hallmark movie ever could. So I'm dead. That's fine. I can popcorn. Here you go. Rachel, how you feel? So, okay, I think I'm going to go with winter. Um, Growing up in Southern California, the weather's pretty similar all year round, but it does get slightly colder in the winter, and I have a really great collection of uh, coats, and winter's the only time I can wear coats. I'm also very into Like I said, icon. And touch on my my fashion sense, which is kind of all over the place, but I I have a lot of clothing and I like to get to use the cold weather stuff at some point. Um, And I also really love giving gifts. So having all the gift giving holidays coming up is very nice. Hmm. And then I will popcorn to Lenise. Um, I will also say winter um, for several, I mean, fall is also cozy, but I feel like winter is extra cozy. I love having all my Christmas decor out in my apartment. Um, and I do love me a chestnut paling from Starbucks and I look forward to it every year. Um, my pride and joy. Um, Asama. Okay. I'm gonna have to go with fall as well for, um, a similar reason to Amanda, because I'm a September baby and that's fall in America. Um, so I feel like that's doing wonders for my mental health. I celebrate the whole month of September. September starting from Labor Day um and then the weather really changes drastically throughout that whole month so I get to do a lot of activities um plus I think it's just cute like when the leaves actually change I think I I still can't believe this but I think like like the majority of the time I spend in the U.S. like in the northeast which is like so cute in the fall um and now it's like hot in SoCal so Mm. I don't know ask me like two years from now maybe it'll change but fall for now 
All right. So 50% of our PhD students in our study prefer winter and the other 50%. Um, wait, sorry. Let me phrase that again. Um, I can't do percentages in my head. 33% of the PhD students in our study prefer <laughs> winter and 66% fall. And then 100% of Wait, the no, no. Doctors... no, no, you did it right the first no, time. No, you did it right the first time. No, it's just not a PhD student. Oh, <laughs> I know. Let me, let me say this You again. got us. That's the first part. Our bad, okay. our bad, our bad. 33% our bad. of the PhD Oh, we should keep this part. <laughs> prefer winter. And 66% of the PhD students in our study prefer fall. And 100% of the doctors in our study prefer winter. There you go. <laughs> that's funny. That was more complicated. I feel like that's a really small it. N, but we'll take the first. You know what I mean? We'll take it. <laughs> it's a survivor guide. We celebrate Respect every N. The title. <laughs> um, okay. Oh my gosh. That was hilarious. Well, if you have any topic you're curious about, or if there's a special guest in mind you'd like us to reach out to so we can chat with them, please let us know. And you can let us know by finding us on Twitter and Instagram at triplicatespod, and you can email us at triplicatespod at gmail.com. If you like us, support us on patreon.com slash triplicatespod. And with that, Obrigada y chao. Gracias y adios. Hapun ka. Bye. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me talk about myself. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Bye, Rachel.